Welcome to Midnight Monologue, a recorded conversations mini podcast. Tonight's episode, Coronavirus. Episode 36, Prepare for Panic or Peace. really interesting that I've been observing is seeing people change their minds publicly, uh, literally conceding to the fact that they were wrong about a supposition or a presumption that they had made earlier, specifically relating to the coronavirus. And I love that. I'm going to be honest. I love that because I have changed my mind several times, and I'll probably do it again about COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, whatever we're calling it. What it does is it reveals humility when it's done genuinely. When people start to go, you know what? Originally, what I thought about this, how dismissive I was, how glib I was, how I mocked it, I might have been wrong. And now I can see that this is maybe a little bit more serious than I once thought it was. Or there are people who, you know, were freaking out right away and have calmed down a little bit and have said, you know what, guys, I freaked out and I panicked and I realized that wasn't helping. And so here's where I'm at now. We have what the influenza pandemic of 1918 didn't have, the internet. And with the internet, We have the luxury and privilege to let everybody know every single thought that we're thinking, every opinion that we have, every fear, every conspiracy, everything we're thinking about. We can doot, 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 and then post, and there it is. And that can overwhelm the hell out of us during a global crisis such as coronavirus. Now, 75 days ago or so, We heard that this was coming from China. We heard that there were conspiracies of cover-up. We heard that doctors were disappearing, that journalists were disappearing, that there were mass graves, um, that they were closing their borders. And maybe, like, I don't know if you did this, but I started thinking about SARS and the swine flu. And I started thinking about, you know, how it was a big deal and it made the headlines and then it kind of like went away. And what happened was that didn't go away. It made its way over to the United States. And all of a sudden we were like, wait, what's going on? And still some of us dismissed it. But we're seeing that people are changing their minds and they're either going from one extreme to another where some people are coming to some kind of a happy medium. I tried to step back a little bit and just listen to a lot of different perspectives and do a lot more research on things. And I'm trying really hard to do all of this without any without any political lens and without any kind of religious coloring. 
and trying to just be as objective as I possibly can, given the fact that I'm still a human and I'm going to look at everything subjectively, no matter how objective I am, right? So looking at things and just absorbing it and trying to be quiet. And I actually went on like a little deleting spree on some of my social media because I was like, you know, I was like, I was going a little overboard. I was obviously activated. I was obviously just reacting. And I went back and in hindsight realized that I was letting my fears type in what I was thinking. And I, that's not representative of me. And so to all you other folks who are out there, maybe deleting some stuff, maybe editing some stuff, I'm there with you. And it's okay to be honest about that and say, yeah, I deleted it. Yeah, that wasn't really great. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that wish a lot of other people would admit that they were wrong originally in some of the earlier assumptions and statements and tweets that they may or made uh, before more information was available. And I understand that you feel like you need that wrong righted for you. But for me, even the people that aren't willing to say I was wrong in the beginning who might have changed their stance on the severity of this pandemic, I don't, I don't, I don't need them to, right? I, I think it's really easy to see that nobody knows what the fuck to do. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. We have no idea what to expect next, even the experts. And can we just all find some kind of security in that uncertainty? I know that's crazy to even suggest. What what a contradiction. What? But we have to try because we don't have all the answers to anything in our life. And we don't know everything. And nobody knows everything. And I don't even think that combined, our collective intellect can answer all of life's questions and can solve all of life's problems. I think sometimes there are problems we can't solve. I'm not suggesting that's what coronavirus is. I'm not suggesting that we should dismiss the severity. I know that you can compare numbers. I know that you can say, but influenza, but H1N1, but this, but that, but that. Comparison is of the ego. The numbers really, for me, I'm the kind of person where numbers don't really, they don't tell me anything. They don't calm my fears. They don't make me feel comfortable. And so I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm more of a person that is like, how is this affecting people personally? firsthand. And can't we take that into consideration? I don't know. I just can't believe that the whole world is in on some kind of culling, uh, population control. I can't, maybe I don't want to believe that there's some kind of evil that's lurking, that's just waiting to prey on humanity. And this is the way it would, I just, I don't want to feed any energy into ideas like that. I don't think they're helpful. They're not helpful. Um, our lives still have to keep going, right? I still have to wake up every morning and attend to my children and do what I do every, we all do. We all have things to do. And we are allowing our fears to shut us all down and freeze us. And yeah, people, I worry about things too. Is Does this make it easier for us to control if we can be so easily scared? Yeah, yeah. Fear makes everybody easier to control. That's why it's utilized as often as it is. But fear is nothing. Fear isn't real. Fear is just this emotion that we allow to take hold of us and fuck with our brains 
and our rationality and, and mess with us. And, and there are these lies of lack that inundate our thoughts that aren't helpful. And I like to speculate as much as the next person. I like to go off about my conspiracy theories too. I got a lot about JFK, but that's not helpful right now. Right now, we need to put into practice what is helpful, what is supportive, what is loving, what is truthful. And I know a lot of people will say, well, statistics are truthful. Well, there's a whole bunch of statistics out there. So which ones are the truth and which ones are fake and which media conglomerate can qualify and verify and accredit the the, the statistics out there as the truth? And I'm, I don't want to go that route. Let's just look at the ways in which we can help people, in which we can reinvent ourselves, in which we can reinvent what we do for a living and how we manage and how we get by and how we connect. And is this going to force us to appreciate our connections more? You know, I was thinking about what kind of storms are going to be created from this social distancing? What kind of things are we going to have to peel back if we're quarantined with our families? You know, not everybody has a healthy marriage. Not everybody has great relationships with their kids or whomever they're quarantined with. Uh, What is that going to do to their current relationships? Is that going to force them to have to work on some things? Maybe they've been shoving under the rug. Is this a time where people can develop a different and a deeper kind of intimacy? I think about, yeah, there's a lot of negative aspects. There's going to be a lot of consequences that are going to just fuck with everything. But look for the silver lining, right? Like that's that's all I want to try and do for myself and for my children. So like my daughter had an amoxicillin reaction over the weekend and it was awful. Uh, the rash was all over her body. It, it She looked like a strawberry. It was horribly itchy and we caught it before it turned into anything serious and it she suffered. She suffered so incredibly. It was horrible to watch. It reminded me of when I had chicken pox as a kid and how awful of a feeling it was to just constantly be itchy, you know, and I don't know if you've ever had the epidural, but the same effect. I remember it in the the last two deliveries I had is that epidural feeling, that itchy feeling where I thought I could claw through my entire flesh and I still wouldn't be able to stop the itch. And that's about the severity it was. And, And she was just inflamed and it was insufferable. There was a lesson behind it. And it taught her about her strength and her ability to use her mind over the physicality and the irritation. It taught her to not listen to the negative voice in her head. Within three days, she's cleared up now and barely itchy and is looking back on it already like, wow, that was really bad. But look, it's over. What a philosophy to come out of such an experience at such a young age for my daughter during a global pandemic. I mean, the things that I've learned from having to be, uh, it's not even isolation for me. I mean, this is my reality. I homeschool. I live on a farm. I'm an introvert and I'm a writer and a podcaster. I am not social. I don't get out that often. I am always with my children and I spend a lot of time with my husband and my grandson. But just the, the beauty and the revelation that my daughter gleaned from that 
that suffering that she had to endure. And, you know, it's hard for parents, right? Like we're watching our kids and I just kept telling her, I wish I could take this from you. I wish I was the one that was itchy. In my prayers, lamenting, God, just give this to me. I will take this. And, you know, she slept at my side all night, which means that I didn't sleep, but she didn't sleep either. But it brought us together. And it it was a deeper connection for her to see that I was suffering because she was suffering. And isn't that what we're able to do now? I, I'm, I'm still sitting from a pretty comfortable, secure safety net, uh, living the way that I have been living, also going through a prepping phase in my life, uh, having livestock literally roaming my backyard. I mean, I, I have a three-ring binder that is about two and a half inches thick, and on the spine it says, when shit hits the fan. So we're ready, right? Like my husband and I went through this prepper phase where we were like, we are getting ready for the apocalypse. We are getting ready for martial law. We are getting ready for the next pandemic. Like we were in that mindset years ago. Now we didn't go crazy. I don't have an underground bunker, but we did put some plans of action together. We did save instructions and manuals. We did learn how to do things that we hadn't done before. We did teach our children things, survival skills. I mean, so there are a lot of people who are in in that position, like I am, like my family is, like we're prepared. We, instead of being consumers and tourists and vacationers, we put our additional money into if we lose power for a week, what would happen if we needed some kind of a backup plan? If there was a global emergency or a national emergency, what would we do? Things our parents went through, things our grandparents went through, right? Our grandparents survived the Great Depression. Well, mine did. And and or were born out of the Great Depression, right? My great grandparents lived through the the Great Depression. And then in the what, in the fifties and the sixties and, and maybe even into the seventies, people were panicked about a global war with China or Russia or Cuba and communism and you know, all of that. And we I come from and as as my husband does, from a generation of of preppers, of homesteaders, of, you know, uh, garden growers and canners, and that's in our blood. Uh, I have a history of farming in my blood. So these are some of the life skills for a lot of people. These are common sense things for us that we've put into practice. So yeah, I am watching from afar, and I was watching cynically. And then I caught myself, and I was like, I probably look like one of those smug little brats who's over there like, I'm prepared, and you're not. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, like that, but like with this smug-ass attitude. And I realized, you know, that's that's not very nice, Danielle. And I don't know what took over me, but I, I got cynical, man. Um, and then I was just snarky, and then I was like, fuck it all, you know? And I had to take a hold of myself. Like, I had to put myself in a timeout and be like, girl, like, what is all of this? Uh, a lot of it was, I was just, you know, my period was creeping up. I get my PMS. Now it's like a, a pandemic PMS, right? So that's my excuse. But anyway, I, I'm ready as I can be. But this lie of lack is telling all of us we're not ready for this. And that's why we're scared. And and I think even with less, I, I feel comfortable enough knowing, I think I have faith enough in knowing I'm ready. 
And so if you're living in a flat or in an apartment and you got, you know, not even enough toilet paper to get you through the next week, well, number one, let me know. Let me do something to help you out. But number two, well, toilet paper isn't going to save us, right? Like we're going to need to eat. And if we run out of food, we're going to need to make sure that we've been nice to our neighbor. Have we been loving our neighbors? I don't know. Like this is kind of a wake up call. I made sure that I reestablished some connections because you really start to realize what's really important and what's really stupid. And these resentments that I might have been clinging to were, you know, just an additional burden and weight that I didn't need during this time. I needed to open my eyes because I might feel like I'm ready. But all these other people out here everybody's panicking and they don't feel like they're ready and they don't feel like they're enough and they feel like something bad is going to happen and it's the end of the world and it's not and we're here and we're together and we're all in this together and we need to realize that and that's why we need to start spreading the hell out of love and now worry about spreading coronavirus and I know it's hard for us to do right now we're isolated we're quarantined we can't go out social distancing but if we're gonna hop on our social media, and if we're going to utilize the internet, can we utilize it for good? Can we do something positive? Can we be compassionate? Can we not let the lie of lack and the fears that are weighing us down and making us say stupid things be the the thing that keeps us divided? We, we need to come together right now and come together. That song should have been going around the fucking internet, not imagine Anyway, we need to come together and we need to start loving our neighbor and we, we need to offer help to our neighbor. Our neighbors need our help right now. And sometimes just that help is a phone call and letting them be heard. Because when we are removed from this socialization that we've been taught is the most important and fundamental thing to a healthy mental health you know, we're going to freak out and lose our minds. And so we need to be there for one another. Be be an ear to listen to someone. And if you see somebody, and this is something I have to tell myself, because I'll be honest, I, I'm really, I'm really not good with hypersensitivity. I'm really not. It's, it's hard. My daughter is very hypersensitive and I'm not good with it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a sugar coder. And I've been, uh, you know, it's been a transformation. It's been a, a, a slow progression. One that, you know, forces me to have to remind myself to be patient. Be patient. Patient is loving. Patient is compassion. Patience is, is what's necessary right now. Um, but to, to just be a voice of encouragement to somebody who is reacting. We want to deactivate people, right? We don't want people activated. And we can deactivate people by connecting to them, by by listening to them, by saying, I see you and I hear you and I'm here for you, okay? That's how we can promote intimacy during isolation, being there. Intimacy starts with listening, with hearing people, with seeing people into them. And sometimes when we're activated, we're going to say some things that don't really represent what we actually believe. It's our fears talking and fears cannot be trusted. And so what I had to do was I had to remind myself that a lot of the things that I'm seeing being said or typed out or or blasted on some video, a lot of it is just surface fears. I mean, there's a lot of well thought out, well intended, meaningful, considerate and encouraging voices out there as well. But watch for the activation. Watch for the people that are being reactionary and not responsive. 
Watch for the people. Look under their words. What are they revealing to you about their words? Most people are revealing their fears, unmet needs, feeling like they're lacking something. And we can provide a fulfillment for them by being there because we can all be connected. I'm just going on on a rambling spree here. I don't even know what kind of message I'm trying to deliver. Maybe it's just one for myself again, you know, to remind myself to extend compassion and not contrast and not comparison. And certainly don't condescend people. I'm working really hard on making sure that I don't diminish other people's ideas or perspectives. I've been called out on that a few times in the last few weeks, and I will admit, I'm going to call a COVID-19 justification for it again. That's my scapegoat. No, I don't like, I'm not okay with even myself creating a scapegoat. The scapegoating has to stop. We have to stop looking at who we can point our fingers at. Because no matter who we point our fingers at, no matter who we decide to hold accountable, it still doesn't provide a solution to the problem. And the reality is, is this isn't just one problem. There are compounded problems. People are suffering. People don't know how they're going to pay their bills. I mean, corporations, the big ones, the small ones, everybody. Everybody is in a state of uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And until our prophets start stepping out and revealing the future to us, we're going to have to hold fast in faith. And compassion and love are going to be our strongest tools. Thank <laughs> you.